Anna Galanti, how are you today? I'm great, Rob. So great. Thanks for having me here. It's really wonderful to be here as I've been on your blog before. I am thrilled to talk with you. It's a nice thing about meeting people you've known online for years in person. Like, oh, <laughs> that's right. This is a whole new experience. I'm used to seeing you through tweets and through emails. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like a little robot head. <laughs> so for people that haven't uh, been corresponding with you online all these years, uh, I never summarize other people's biographies or other people's books because I want to. I want everyone that uh, comes on the show to still be my friend after the show. <laughs> um, so, if you would give the esteemed audience kind of an overview of your background, and we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Uh, my writing, just my writing background. Oh, uh, you could start as early as chapter one. I am born. If you want, it's up to you. <laughs> well, I always knew I wanted to be a writer since I was seven years old, and I fell in love with the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. My hero was Aslan the lion. I even had a little lion ring that I used to wear as my tribute to him. And so from that, I really fell in love with fantasy, started writing fantasy stories. My mom saved them all. I still have them, which is awesome. My first story was like with a dodo and a wizard and a flying ship. Um, so I'm still writing fantasy stories today. Um, but I kind of didn't start writing novels until I was really 40. I wrote marketing communications. I was in the corporate world. I was a journalist. I was a photographer in the Navy station at Pearl Harbor. I kind of did all these stints. And then it was actually when my mom passed away, like 12 years ago, um, she was my biggest champion uh, for my writing. And I said, wow, I really need to do this. Like she left this little gift to me, you know, in her passing away. And that's when I wrote my first book. So well, always yearning to be a writer during that time. It just didn't have the time for it. Yeah, I mean, I was writing short stories and I had been a journalist and newsletters and marketing and all this. But my real dream was to share, you know, those fiction stories inside me. Um, and funny enough, my first book, I actually started writing thrillers for adults. So which are kind of dark and a little bit twisted. So but. In those, my editor said, um, I have a character who's like a young character who grows up. And she said, you have a really wonderful young voice. You should explore that. So I said, OK. So I went off and I took a course in how to write a children's book in seven months. Um, and actually, and that became my first children's book, Joshua and the Lightning Road, um, which my Did son John inspired. Did, were you able to hit the seven month goal per the classes? And yes. Stuff? Yes. Um, I get very committed and I get very... Um, what's the word, obsessed with meeting deadlines. So <laughs> I did. Of course, it needed a lot of revision, like a lot of revision. Um, so that that came in over the next couple of years when I was trying to find my first agent and then a publisher. So, yeah. So, okay, so seven months, what does that look like when you get serious and say, okay, I've waited till age 40. Now it's happening for sure. Um, what does that seven month period look like? Well, I was in class. I was taking class and I was meeting other writers for the first time. You know, I'd really just thrown myself into the world of writing. I Before that, I, I wrote my first book. I didn't know any writers. I'd never been to a conference, never been on social media. So like I just hit the road running with all of these things, blogging and a website and you know, meeting other writing peers and uh, industry professionals. And that's really what helped me. I mean, building that network with editors and agents and authors. Like, I don't think I would be where I am today without all these, you know, wonderful people who've helped me along the way. Gotcha. Uh, and I've got all kinds of questions about uh, your marketing <laughs> skills and your networking <laughs> skills, because I see you all over the place. 
Uh, some sometimes when I've had a month where I just haven't done much, and then I'll I'll uh, see you online, and I know you're with Project Middle Grade Mayhem. You're with from the Fixed Up Files. The, you're a judge for the New York City uh, Midnight Course. But my like, Donna doesn't sleep. She does it all. <laughs> How can I catch up? I'm assuming that didn't start in that initial seven months. Oh so no no no. Yeah. Focus on writing. So when when do you start networking? How far in the process are you? Um, as far as writing, like for uh, advice for writers? Yeah, as far as you get to you get to 40, you say, okay, this is the moment. I've been doing all this other really interesting mm-hmm. stuff. Now it's writing time. Um, and you, seven months, I'm committed to the writing. When does it go from, okay, I finished a book to I'm an author. It's time for me to build my author network. Yeah, it's kind of tough because it kind of all happens at once. I mean, I I get an idea and I get, like I said, a little obsessed with it. And so I jumped into social media and blogging. I was big into that and my website. And then as I started to have books out, that kind of calmed down because I really, and I might have to go through this process to get there, but I got to the point where it's like, you know, do I want to just be putting messages out there or do I want to be writing books? You know, what do I want to be? What is my legacy going to be? So I had to kind of calm that down, the social media and the marketing and really focus more on writing and try and schedule social media. Like, you know, twice a day, I'm going to go on for so much time and do it. And that takes a lot of discipline to do that, um, to get the writing done first. But I always tell writers that you absolutely can build your platform before your book comes out. You can blog. You can connect with your peers that way. You can connect with other authors that are similar to you, what you're writing in your genre for your audience, um, and start making those connections. And also really connect with book bloggers. That can be huge because these are the people who are going to read your book, review your book, promote your book. So if you start following them now before you have a book out in, you know, with books that are connected to yours and commenting on their blogs and sharing, tweeting, whatever, they're going to get to know you. So when your book comes out, they're absolutely going to want to promote you, even if they review your book, have a guest blog, whatever it may be. And, and they're your friend for life. I've had book bloggers come with me from my uh, thrillers for adults right through to my children's book. They, they want to read anything I write. So those are the kind of people that you want to you know, connect with, but especially banding with other writers. And I tell people who are having their first book come out, band with those other debut authors. My critique partner, Erica George, has done that. Her debut novel comes out this year. They're called The 20 Wonders, like 21 Wonders. Um, and she's amazing. Check her out, Erica George. She writes young adult. She's a fantastic writer. And um, so she's banded with all these debut authors. There's dozens of them, and they're all cross-promoting each other. So it's like you've got this big pool of people helping you elevate you, right, with your book coming out. So the other thing that's really, really key, and I think this helped me get my start too, was um, joining writer organizations and volunteering. That was really key. Now, my first book came out, um, A Human Element, nine years ago, and I was a debut author with International Thriller Writers Association. So I got to go to their big conference in New York, present my book, meet all these big authors like Lee Child, Lisa Gardner, R.L. Stein, and, and I had all the support of this organization. And I started volunteering and doing social media for them and their blog, met all these other wonderful authors, networked, was able to get blurbs because of them. And I started um, writing interviews for their magazine, The Big Thrill, and met more authors that way. So I think a real key ingredient is to join an organization that you connect with and volunteer your time. Huge. Yeah. Well, I uh, 
couple of uh, questions about that. I was just thinking I should point out that you teach online courses for uh, what launch your author brand and platform, public speaking for authors 101, <laughs> author school visits uh, 101. And we're going to talk about all of that because I'm all about all right. <laughs> <laughs> So just to establish you and where do you teach those courses? And that the platform I do now is Udemy. So it's udemy.com. I started out on my own platform, but honestly, it was it was too much work to promote it and market it. And I really wanted something that would just be like passive income that I could put up there, you know, connect with people, but then just let it run. And that's what Udemy is great for. I actually used to do workshops. Well, I mean, I still do, but not during the pandemic, of course, but teach workshops at uh, writing conferences, colleges, things like that. So I actually took my workshops and I turned them into these online courses. I still have a few more that I have to do. And it's super, super fun um, because it's like I get to share everything, you know, not just with a group of 50 people, but with anybody who wants to go on and, and learn this. And yeah, it's been great. I mean, how to do author visits, create and promote them, launch your author brand and platform. That's my biggest course. Um, you know, everything we're talking about, like social media, blogging, how to create your author persona and put yourself out there. All, band with other authors, all of these things. So yeah, that's something I really enjoy doing, putting these courses together and putting them online. Well, I should mention that uh, your newest book, uh, Unicorn Island, released here February 9th. It is available now. And I'm going to mention it at least twice more, February 9th, <laughs> Unicorn Island, before we're done. Uh, that way, I don't feel guilty about uh, uh, bugging you for more, inf more, more, more freebies about launching your, your author platform. Because <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about, about Uni Unicorn uh, Island, but um, for all those authors that are listening that are desperate to know more, what can you what give us a taste? We, we, we want to set people up with the expectation they're going to go to Udemy, they're going to purchase the course. Uh, but uh, what what would you say are the essential things that every author needs to launch their platform? All right, so a few key things. You really need a space, right, of where that you put yourself out there. So you need a basic website. And this doesn't have to have all the bells and whistles. And I talk about this in my course. I mean, I highly, highly recommend WordPress because just the platform has so much flexibility. So many platforms are on WordPress. But a basic website, even if it's through Wix, you know, for people to find you. And here's something to remember too. It's a work in progress, right? It Just getting it done doesn't have to be perfect. It's going to be a work in progress. Um, I've switched my website a couple of times now. So definitely a website to have the basic information out there. Um, get on some kind of social media. When I got on, I tried everything, you know, so try them, experiment, see what works for you and where you feel most comfortable. Like I, I really like being on Twitter. I like Facebook. I know I should be on Instagram, but I, I don't love it. I still struggle with that. Um, I hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I have an Instagram account. I'm never on there. Don't follow me, esteemed audience. It's a waste of your time. <laughs> I know it's it's tough. There's like a whole different set of rules for Instagram. Um, and, you know, that's where the, the book bloggers are and that's where the kids are. So it's tough. But there's always new platforms coming. So find a couple, two or three, three at the most. And, and, you know, put yourself out there and start connecting with people. I love Twitter because I can connect with editors and agents and publishers and have those conversations. And then I like to create Twitter lists. So I'll have my list of middle grade authors and thriller authors and editors. And I can just go in those lists and just see what those people are talking about. So like, because I have almost 17,000 followers, I can't keep up with all that. 
So, but if I have, you know, 100 editors in that list, I can follow their conversation easily and connect. So that's definitely one of my twips, tips. So website, social media, um, as far as marketing, banding with those other writers and authors. So start connecting and getting to know them. Absolutely. Um, and when, like what I just mentioned, join those organizations, whether it's SCBWI, Horror Writers of America, you know, sci-fi and fantasy writers, and find your people and volunteer if you can. So I think that those things would make a great start for somebody getting their platform. And you have to remember it happens over time, right? This isn't going to happen overnight. But if you do a little bit every day, if you say, I'm going to do 30 minutes to an hour of this every day, it will grow over time. You know, I didn't have 17,000 followers almost overnight. That happened over years. It's been like nine years. So, yeah. It's extremely impressive. How does one build to 17,000 Twitter followers? Well, honestly, I haven't really been working lately. So my number's going down, which is what happens. <laughs> um, but I think What's it's your uh, Twitter handle that everybody listening can follow you immediately to bring it back up? Oh, yeah. It's just my name, Donna Galanti. That's my website, my Twitter handle, Instagram, everything real simple. My name, which is what I suggest, you know, doing something easy across your platforms for sure. Also having the same headshot if you can, or one or two, so people instantly recognize you, you know. Um, but, oh yes, yeah, so for building up your Twitter account, one way that I like to do it, and I'll do this in spurts, is I find those authors that I wanna connect with that are like me, and I follow them, and then I follow their followers. And hopefully their followers will follow me back. Some do, some don't. It all depends. Um, I'll go through and maybe like some of their posts as well. And you connect with them. But that's one way. Like the authors you connect to, follow their followers, and hope that they will follow you back. Um, also, editors, agents, things like that. Um, get involved with conversations. There's things like um, hashtag, uh, or what is it? MG, oh, I can't remember it now. It happens like every week, Thursday, I think, like MG Lit Chat. So there's different chats that you can jump in and there you can engage with big authors and editors and agents, you know, um, things like these are great places that you can connect with people and people will follow you in the conversation. That's it. So, okay, so what does your writing day look like? As you say, you gotta, you gotta put the book first. Yep. And make if there's no book, there's nothing to talk about. So you got to make sure you get that done. So how do you divide your day up? And are you working a day job still at this point, or have you ascended to a day jobless level? Uh, well, every day I'm working. So I'm, I don't have an office job anymore. I I have so many jobs. I, I like to say I'm a gig worker. So I have a lot of gigs, and I think this is something, especially that new writers trying to be authors. You know, it's good for them to hear that, um, I don't know, I think, you know, they probably hear the same things I heard coming up the ranks, you know, oh, it takes 10 years to establish yourself as an author. It takes so many hours before, you know, you can get, craft a book and all of that. Um, you know, and sometimes that's true and sometimes it's not, but it, I think it definitely took me a few years to get to where I am. Um, so my day right now is I'm a, I work for myself, basically. I'm self-employed. Um, I have an LLC. And I do freelance work. So I do social media for some clients. I do that. So that's part of my day. But I actually do start out working on my book. So right now I have, I actually have four finished books that I need to revise. <laughs> um, they're in different stages. I have one I've drafted that needs to be finished. So um, I have two right now that I want to get to my agent within the next couple months if I can. So I get up in the morning. I'm usually up at five. 
and I do my social media work for my clients. Then I revise or write. Then I may have some marketing to do. Like right now with Unicorn Island coming out February 9th, I have um, podcasts to do. I have other interviews, um, you know, interviews that I have to write uh, questions or answers to for the questions. I have school visit things that are coming in. So I'm booking those and I'm doing some of those as well with Zoom. And so, yeah, so there's some marketing that I have to do. I may have a Zoom call with my critique partner to go over issues and to brainstorm. I may have um, edits that I have to do for a book, like final edits, like a look through. My editor said, hey, can you take one more look at this before it goes to print kind of thing. Um, then I, I'm also working on my online courses. I'm doing like I'm doing a webinar in April and I'm taking one of my, my courses and I'm making that into the webinar. So I have to create the PowerPoint and the script and, and all of that and get ready for that. Um, yeah, so it's it's a busy day. And when you work for yourself, there are no weekends. <laughs> Unless you you make them, you know, my husband also is self-employed, so he works at home downstairs. And some days we're like, we got to get out of here. Let's just go biking or, you know, go drive around or do something. So it's hard to stop working at the end of the day. But oh, I just bang the table. But there's one book I want to recommend for writers that I found a couple years ago. And I think will help with getting that writing done and putting it first. It's called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And he's got a several books out, but this really helped me get back to writing and be very productive where you like learn the techniques to shut everything off, focus on the deep work. Um, this is what Teddy Roosevelt did when he was president and he was writing dozens of books and he was traveling all over the world on expeditions. He knew how to do this deep work method. Um, so I highly recommend that book for writers because since I got into it, I've really exploded with my productivity. I've done three work for hire novels. Um, one I wrote in a month last fall, a full length novel that that was really intense, <laughs> but I got it done because I already had practice in the place, you know, um, like Unicorn Island, short book, I mean, it's an illustrated book. And I just want to show too, like this illustrator, Bethany Stancliffe, like her illustrations are so amazing. It's so atmospheric. And um, she just did a wonderful job with the illustrations in that book. But I wrote this book in five days. I went, I sequestered myself at the Highlights Foundation, which is like my home away from home in a cabin. And I wrote that in five days. I wrote book two in five days, which is coming out this spring on the Epic platform in hardcover next year. And yeah, so. Five days, how, what, what does that look like? Is it just <laughs> you, you, you don't, you don't eat, you don't sleep. It's just time, time, time. I literally run away. I tell my husband, I have to run away <laughs> to my cabin in the woods. He's great. He's really understanding. Um, it's great. My son is like 18 now because he's like, okay, see you later, mom. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And I love it. I immerse myself in the story. And it reminds me of what it was like to write my first book when I wasn't on social media and I didn't know any other writers. All I had was myself and my story. And it was like this amazing, beautiful universe that nobody else was in. Right. I mean, it was like I wasn't even here. So it, it helps me get back to that again, which I love. Um, you know, I have to set aside the time. I tell students in my school visits the same thing. You know, we have to stop procrastinating. We have to get our homework done and our tours done. And we have to get our writing done if we're going to be authors and set aside time to do it, whatever you have to do. So, so yeah, often I will do that. I think last year I went to highlights three or four times because I had, I had two or three books that I had to get done on deadline. So, 
Okay, when you're not in the cabin, how do you know you had a productive day before you start your social media campaign and everything else that you have going on and your, your freelance work? And then what does that look like versus a cabin day? Okay, so like a regular day at home here in my office. Well, I always set my schedule the night before. So uh, I'm old school. I, I actually have a big calendar book. Uh, and so I set 30-minute increments for the next day. So I know... I'm going to work on this for an hour and then I'm going to work on this for half an hour and this for two hours. You know, I do it in block increments in pencil so that I can be flexible and change it if I have to. And then at the end of the day, I go and I check to make sure every, you know, I've done these things. It feels like a sense of accomplishment and I set my schedule for the next day. So that's really what I live by. Well, what happens if, I don't know, you're having an afternoon and, um, you know, there's some big news story. Um, which it seems to be happening a lot here in, in 2021 <laughs> right. uh, that maybe it would distract you or you're just having a blah day because quarantine's got you down and you don't mm -hmm. feel like it. How do you power through that? Or do it, you? It, ha it happens. Yeah. Well, I have my go-to people. So my critique partner and I really help each other power through because um, there's so many ups and downs in this publishing industry. And especially now the industry is really taking a hit. So you know, we have things on submission and it's a really tough time now because editors are being let go, you know, um, powerhouses are buying up other houses, you know, and, and things like that. So it's it's a tough time to try and get book deals, you know, in some respect. So I have my critique partner that I go to. Um, I go for a walk. Like I'm a real nature lover and I go in the woods every day. I schedule in my walks my meditation, I do trans, um, transcendental meditation, which really helps keep me very peaceful and calm. And I don't let those things go. So sometimes I do three hour walks. I go off in the woods. I have my secret woods. I won't tell you where they are because there's nobody else there but me. I have my big walking stick uh, and I love it. It's meadows and woods and streams. And that's where I get all my book ideas. That's where I unwind. It's really important. I don't let that go because I do know some writers who are just working themselves to the bone. You know, they're working 14, 16 hours a day. But I think it's just as important to have that, you know, that time in nature, that peace, that meditation. It's just as important as your writing. So even if you don't get that extra 2,000 words written that day, there's always tomorrow. You know, as long as you keep trucking along, that's what I tell myself. I've learned, and it's taken a long time to get here, I'm like my own worst enemy. And I think so many writers were like that. We, we whip ourselves, right? We, we throw the whip at ourselves because we don't work this hard and we're not getting this done, even though we may be working a full-time job or multiple jobs. So as long as you get some done every day and every day you set a goal and you work on it, you're still moving forward, right? You know, 500 words a day, 500 words a day, you're going to get the job done over time. So yeah, I try not to be too hard on myself. There's always tomorrow. And sometimes family or friends in crisis is more important. You know, we're not just here in our little silos and our isolation, writing our words. We also have to be part of the world. So take it easy on yourself. <laughs> Except when you're uh, at, the, at the cabin. So what does a cabin day look like? And also, by the way, if you're taking three-hour walks in the woods and you're staying in a cabin by yourself for five days, does it not concern you that you are setting yourself up for alien abduction? <sighs> Just well, a, no, a, I used to be okay. afraid of that as a kid. Yeah, that was a serious thing um, because as a kid, I always had um, to get off topic here. But I, uh, oh, I you know, kids, we get bumps, right? We get uh, like injury cysts and all that. 
So every time I would get one, I would think, oh my gosh, they took me last night. This new bump, it's an implant in my skin, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's no wonder my first book has an alien in it, right? (laughs) A good alien and a bad alien. Um, But yeah, so my, my time in the woods, you know, it's funny, I get this all the time. Friends and family are like, they're like, you're the one person I know who just goes off in the wild by yourself. I'm like, aren't you afraid? I'm like, well, no. I mean, yes, in northern Pennsylvania, there are black bears up there, but like only one person has been killed in 100 years. And that was near New Jersey. So I'm not going to worry about know that. Of. There could be people just wandering off all the time. That uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, last fall I went and it was so great at the Highlights Foundation, which is an amazing place to go write, especially if you're a children's book author. Um, it's, you know, the Highlights Magazine. So this goes back to the 1930s. They have the foundation up in um, northern Pennsylvania near Millenville, I think it's called. It's in Boyd's Mill. They have 20 cabins. You know, you have your, they're awesome. So comfy, your own bathroom. They feed you these amazing gourmet farm-to-table meals. They have big lodges you can hang out in. They have 1,500 acres to wander. And it's so amazing. So I actually, I went there last fall after I did that marathon book in a month for five days and I didn't write. I walked in the woods for five hours every day. I went for a walk in the morning and a walk in the afternoon and I read. I totally decompressed. It was awesome. Um, although there are bears up there because I ran into a big piles of bear scat and I thought, gee, I better get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be part of it. <laughs> no, no, I had my walking stick. I was making noise, you know, in case they were around. <laughs> The esteemed audience knows I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, because I ask every person who comes on, uh, have you ever seen a flying saucer while we're here? I have not. I, I wish I did, but I have not. No. How about a ghost? Well, that's another story. So I grew up mostly um, after my parents stopped moving around all the time. I grew up in an old colonial or federal colonial farmhouse in upstate New York on a mountain. And this whole setting is featured in my first book, A Human Element, by the way. Um, And it was a beautiful old place on acres. We had apple orchards, rock walls, grapevines, pear trees. We had three big old barns, including this buggy barn. And so the story goes, old, crazy old man Selick owned the the farm um, back in the late 1800s, and he didn't take care of it. And the horses, the floor rotted out. And so the horses fell through. And unfortunately, they did not survive. But you could hear the horses whinnying in that old barn for a long time. I would hear them out there. There was another man who also was working on the roof inside and fell on the spikes where the horses were pegged. And you can hear the hammering sound in the summer. Like, as a kid, I vividly remember this. But most vivid, we had the ghost in the house. She was a Victorian. My friend first saw her when she slept over. Uh, Apparently, she didn't wake me up to tell me this, so she told me in the morning, but she came in and formed into a woman with a Victorian uh, cameo at her throat. She had this really sad look on her face, and every time she'd sleep over, she'd see this woman, and all I've seen is, like, the mist, the form of it. I never saw saw this woman, Um, but to this day, I'm still good friends with with this girl. You know, her family made fun of her, but she's like, nope, because there was a ghost in her house, too. Um... Yeah, so I believe in ghosts, whether they're echoes or imprints, um, I do. And actually, um, at one of my book readings a few years ago, we had a psychic come, which is really fun. And we went off and we, you know, we had our little psychic meeting with her. 
And my son was probably like 12 at the time. And she knew I live in an old farmhouse now too, because I love that. And she said, you know, she alluded to the fact that my son knows that there's ghosts in this house. She said, does your son sleep with the radio on at night really loud? I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, because he's hearing the voices and he's trying to drown that out so he can sleep. That really freaked me out. <laughs> How old was uh, Joshua at that point? He was 11 or 12. So, yeah. Um, was he able to confirm that that was indeed what was going on? No. Mm-mm. No. But he just said he couldn't sleep at night because there would be chatter. So maybe, you know, that's what he meant. I don't know. But oh, I know uh, that you at one point went to a haunted house and got kicked out because you beat uh, uh, one of the haunters with a teddy bear. Is that right? Wait, it... where did you hear that story? You, you wrote it in your, your guest post. You included it. It's available now exclusively at middlegrade.com. I forgot. forgot that. <laughs> that is a true story. Yes, that's a true story. When I was stationed in Pearl Harbor in uh, Honolulu, they shut down the streets at Halloween. They had like a huge Halloween parade. And they had a haunted house there. And I was dressed up as a little girl with my teddy bear. And and they were terrifying in the house. They would jump out at you. So I was whacking them with my teddy bear. And they finally turned on all the lights and, and were like, no, you need to stop doing this, right? <laughs> but I love to be scared. I, I love visiting old prisons and old penitentiaries, thinking about the ghosts in there and the things that have happened and, you know, what's been left behind. Like um, Eastern State Penitentiary here in Philadelphia is one of my favorite places to visit. Well, here is my promise to esteemed audience. Stay with us, and we will uh, talk about tips for writing scary fiction for kids. So I've got a list of 10 tips that, that you wrote, again, available uh, at middlegradeninja.com. You've got two guest posts. Esteemed audience could enjoy them as soon as they're finished uh, listening or watching uh, us now. But by golly, before we get too far down the road, let's talk a little bit about Unicorn Island. Yeah. Uh, which uh, is available now. Esteemed audience could be putting it on their uh, Kindle or, or on their device as we speak uh, or, or, or sending away for their physical copy. So uh, true to my word, I won't summarize your bio, I won't summarize your book. What does esteemed audience need to know about Unicorn Island? Well, it's a super fun, mysterious adventure. It's for the younger middle grade set um, because it's an illustrated hardcover. But we have, I, I think, a great heroine in Sam, Samantha C. Wells. She's 12 years old and she has to go visit her uncle for the summer who she's never met, this grumpy, mysterious guy. And she gets into all kinds of trouble. She's very adventurous. She's not afraid to go help people in trouble, especially when it's people she cares about. So I think she's got a courageous heart even though she's a little bit, um, what's the word? Uh, oh my God, I'm totally blanking on this. Um, rebellious in a good way, you know, because she's seeking answers and she's trying to solve problems. And she's got this great sidekick and her friend who balances her out because he's a little more cautious and scientific. And so they go on this adventure towards Unicorn Island. And I don't want to give too much away, um, but the story comes to an end, and there's a door open for the next set of books that's coming out this spring, too. Which I assume will start all new characters since both of them die at the end. No, no stop! <laughs> <laughs> no, you want your characters to go on in your, in your children's books, right? That's why kids love series so much. <laughs> no, I'll make up for it now because I know that the uh, sequel is tentatively titled Unicorn Island, Secret Beneath the Sand, and that's going to be available this spring. Is that right? Yes. So, and here's how it happens. So uh, like Unicorn Island here, 
this came out digitally first in a five-part serial in May on the Epic platform, which is in like 99% of all the schools in North America. That's what the kids are reading on. It's a digital platform. And they have hundreds of thousands of books on there too. Um, but then they also have books that, that they've hired people to write, like me, so their own original books. And then they've partnered with Andrews McMeal, who is an imprint with Simon & Schuster, to put the hardcover out. So that generally comes out like six or eight months later. Gotcha. So when will the hardcover be available uh, for book one? Book one, uh, that's February 9th. That's oh, when okay. Front Island comes out, this one. so And I love how they did the foil on the front. And they got it on the they got it on the spine too. It just really makes it pop. Um, and so then, digitally, the next book will come out in five parts in May on Epic, and then the next hardcover comes out next week. Okay, that makes sense. So okay, so this is when you're writing for Epic. How much of the story are they prescribing to you, and how much of this is uh, Donna's vision of of Unicorn <laughs> Island? Well, so it's interesting. Um, and again. I got this gig because of, of networking, of people that, that I knew. Um, funny enough, the, the gentleman I worked with, one of the creators at Epic, his son and my son were both in Cub Scouts together. <laughs> it's interesting enough. Um, but yeah, so basically he threw me the idea and he said, you know, I want you to write a book about a girl who has to take care of a unicorn. And that was it. That's all I got. So you know, I crafted out this, this synopsis, and then I was assigned an editor who is so amazing to work with. We're so in sync, and she really helped me flesh out the, the outline chapter by chapter to her vision of the brand, and, and then I wrote it, and so it really came, came from that. When did you know it was going to be a five-part serial first? Well, so that is part of their platform. They put books out in a serial. Um, so the, it, it's a great platform because they can really see right away. Uh, they get data back right away on what kids are reading, you know. Um, so they know, oh, kids are really are re loving unicorns or Bigfoot. Okay, let's go create some stories about that for them, you know. So they're really got their fingers on the pulse of trends of what kids are reading. So that really helps. Um, and I guess Unicorn Island did well because it was so amazing. It came out, I think, May 4th. And then, like, four days later, they sent me a contract for book two. I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> so I'm hoping, it was originally supposed to be, a, like, a three-book series. That was kind of the idea. So I'm hoping book two would do so well in May that we'll get to do the third book. Because I already know how it's going to end and what the next adventure is going to be. And it would be really great to do that. So, um, well, a couple, I mean, can they use that data in real time that, hey, uh, chapter three did great, but chapter four is lagging just a little bit. Maybe we tighten this up for chapter five or in the book. Oh, no, it's, that it's, it's all solidly done um, before they, they put it out. Yeah, Epic is an amazing company to work with. Um, I think one of the co-founders actually co-founded YouTube. So he really knows the digital market. Knows they, They're just top-notch to work with from their illustrators to their editors to how they they put it out there and then andrews mcmeal who puts out the hardcover amazing as well i mean i'm working with two marketing people there publicists who have been so wonderful to work with they're they're just putting all these opportunities together with um other podcasts and interviews and book bloggers and hooking it up with industry events that are going online now right not in person um, and, and getting book reviews. I've been able to get three wonderful book reviews from like Kirkus, 
um, School Library Journal and Forward Review for Unicorn Island. So that's wonderful. So they really put a lot behind this to market this book. And, and they're like, oh, you want a book trailer? We'll do that. Oh, you want bookmarks and book plates? We'll do that for you, too. They're just amazing to work with. That's a really smooth-looking book trailer. They put that together for you? Yeah. Yeah. Like, they just do everything top-notch. And it was amazing. I love how they took the illustrations that Bethany Stancliffe did, and they kind of animated them. So they gave them motion in the book trailer, and they kept the brand there of, of the story. So, yeah. Okay, so no, knowing going in, you're going to write this thing in five days and then and then revise it heavily. You go into the cabin. Uh, all you've got to go on is it's a girl and her unicorn. Do you plot out the story ahead of time? And, and are you planning around those five points? Is, is this is where I, I need four cliffhangers? Or how, how are you doing that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love writing cliffhangers. Like, that's my jam at the end of chapter endings. And it's great because kids love it. You know, they want that that thing to keep turning the page. So before I go to the cabin, the story is completely plotted out because I want to go make the best use of my time. So I've gotten to go ahead for my editor. Yes, this is this is the strong outline. This is where we want the chapter breaks. And then I go off and I write it. Um, and, and I have to do so many words a day. So I know if I'm there for five days and it's whatever it is, 17, 18,000 words, you know, I have to do, you know, like 3,000 a day or 4,000 a day to get it done. And so that's what I did. And, and and with the other middle grade book that I wrote last fall in a month, that was, I think it came out to be like 50, 53,000 words. And so again, that was plotted as well, but things changed along the way. So I knew I had to hit that, you know, word count every day. And so when that time comes and I know I'm under the gun, you know, everything else gets put aside. Like I'm, I'm not making no big fancy dinners. <laughs> you know, I'm not staying on top of the laundry. There's no vacuuming going on. Nobody come over and visit because there's dust bunnies my, that are big, so big my cats are playing with them. So um, yeah, <laughs> literally, I'm, I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but it's, it's a wonderful to do that. That's the roller coaster life of being an author that sometimes you have to do that and really prioritize and some things just have to wait. You know, it's it's tough. Like, I think I mentioned, I have four books that need to be revised. Um, I have one that I have to finish drafting. These are all middle grade. And I actually have the third book in my uh, Element Trilogy for adults that has to be edited and published as well. But I've just been focused on writing children's books. I haven't gotten that done. And I already have a new book idea. I'm like, ah, but I'm like, I can't get to that yet, you know. <laughs> so... I need more hours in the day. And, uh, you know, I think every writer wants that. So. Well, aside from uh, focusing more on, on, you know, Zoom calls, marketing online, all that kind of stuff. How has the pandemic changed things for you or has it? Has it, has it made things easier by removing the distraction of having to leave the house as much? <laughs> you know, it's I really do consider myself lucky because I have not, my lifestyle has not really changed with the pandemic. I worked at home before, I work at home now, so does my husband. Um, yeah, so that really hasn't changed, except, you know, going out. And and actually, I, I like it. I like being in my little writer's cave. I have no obligations to go out and meet people or do these talks or, you know, even really run to the store, right? It's just not that important. So I go out to the woods every day and I, I write in my office. Um, that's pretty much been my day. So every day, I never know what day it is. You know? <laughs> every day is the best day. 
<laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> That's right. And as I'm uh, talking to you, I'm, I'm, I'm struck by the discipline that you have, which I imagine you, you probably always a disciplined person. But you were, you were what? You were established, you were with the Fleet Intelligence Pacific. What, what is that? And how did that set you up for success in writing or did it? Yeah, that was a long time ago. So I signed up for the Navy on a whim. Uh, I was really young when I graduated high school. I was 16. I, I had skipped a grade when I was younger. And I don't think it really benefited me well because I didn't really know what I wanted to do at 16. You know, everybody went to college. That's what you're supposed to do. So I went to college, but I didn't really go to class. So I failed out. And, you know, not a good plan to follow. college at 16 or at 17? Uh, I graduated high school when I was 16. I turned 17 right when I started college. And, um, yeah, so I just, I didn't take it seriously. I failed out. My parents were like, we're done with you. So, I mean, with paying for college, that is, you know, not done with me. Um, <laughs> Tough but fair, I guess. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I drove by the recruiting office one day, and on a whim, I went in and signed up. My dad had been in the Navy. I thought, oh, this is something I can do. And um, I actually had a lot of fun in boot camp. I don't know a lot of people who say that, but it, I loved it. It was awesome. I actually got in trouble because I would laugh. I would laugh at these company commanders who were, you know, cursing at us and t telling us vile things because I, it, to me, it was like theatrical. So I would laugh and I would get in trouble for laughing um, instead of crying. And I wanted to go in as a journalist, but they didn't have any openings. So I figured photography is the next best thing. So I went in as a photographer. I went to photo school down in Pensacola first. And that was fun because it was like old school photography, like on the reel in the dark room, right? <laughs> um, that was great. Really got to learn some techniques. And then they sent me over to Pearl Harbor, which I didn't want to go to. I'm not a beach person. I wanted to go to Scotland, okay? <laughs> But what, no, uh, makes Scotland superior to beaches and nice weather. I know. Well, I'm not. I love seasons and I love rugged, mountainous lake, you know, landscapes. And uh, you know, I used to live in England, and we we used to go to Scotland, and it's just so beautiful there. So that didn't happen. But everybody came to visit me when I was stationed in Hawaii, of course. And so I was stationed with Thick Pack Fleet Intelligence Center Pacific. I worked in the building with no windows, and. Um, I think I only had top, what was it, my security level, you know, it wasn't very high. And so when big security projects would come into the lab, the film lab, the one of us who didn't have the big secret clearance, we literally would have to go stay in the closet until the job had passed through and was on its way to somewhere else because we weren't supposed to have our eyes on it. So you're in the closet while they're they're revealing the UFO footage that you would have seen if you could just come out of the closet. Man, I, I, I wish there'd been UFO footage. No, um, I was actually processing film of like aerial photography of you know secret camps around the world that they were investigating so that's what I was doing which was still pretty cool um yeah so that was my job and I would also take photos of like command ceremonies and things like that on the island but I got islanditis you know you drive around three hours and you're back where you started from it just wasn't for me and funny enough my son who just turned 18 who did not get this idea from me, is now planning to go to Hawaii with his girlfriend for a gap year and then go to college there. So I said to him, I never wanted to go back there. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be 5,000 miles away on an island. 
but you know what? Go have adventure. I created him. This is, you know, this is what my life is adventure, you know? And, and so he's the same way. He's got his own business. He started his own business at, at 15, launched it last year and doing he's really well. With and he's got his own business. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's called Spiffy Laces. Check it out. And he created his own designs of really cool laces. And um, he's got a private label deal. He's been selling at markets and online, doing really well. Yeah, he loves being an entrepreneur, I guess. What's that? Where can uh, esteemed audience go to, to find out more? Spiffylaces.com? Oh, it's, it's just spiffylaces.com. Like, spiffy. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a young man that's, a, that's, that's got at least that much figured out. He is, yeah. He's oh, so here, here, proud mama. There he is. Graduation <laughs> picture, Joshua. He's a cutie. <laughs> entrepreneur. I guess he gets it from his parents. <laughs> got his own book series, headed to Hawaii for a gap year with his own business. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So I got to let him go. You know, the worst, worst case, I give him a ticket and he comes home, right? <laughs> Fair enough. Yep. I'm amusing me. I'm thinking that there has to be somebody who's listening to this that's currently stationed in Antarctica or someplace miserable. Um, or maybe they live it there. I don't know. Someplace that they don't want to be and they're hearing you and they're like, oh my God, you were in Hawaii with all the beautiful beaches of the island and you hated it. Switch with me. Oh, it's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's true. It is a beautiful tropical paradise. Every day it's 85 and sunny. If it rains, it may you may get a shower for like 10 minutes and then it's done, you know, so... I really did see some beautiful parts of the island that the tourists don't get to go to. So that was that was nice. And travel to all the other islands, too. And then does that set you up with a, with a, a sense? Because uh, I know you wrote a book about uh, boot camp. Uh, what Letters from Boot Camp that I think you had self-published. Is that right or am I making things up? Yeah, no, the, that was the first book that I, I put out there. Um, it was really just correspondence between me and my dad because he was like an old salt old sailor I was a young salt and we wrote back and forth so when I was in boot camp like you basically don't sleep in boot camp you know you're either you're on watch you know for a few hours at night and then you go all day learning and um you know being tortured and all that stuff and so I would write my letters home being a writer I would write and write and write you know on my watch and not get caught and my dad would write me back with advice and after I got out I thought this is a really nice correspondence that tells of my experience now in the 80s and his experience in the 50s and how that came together. So, you know, I kind of did it for my family. I put that together, that book. But actually, this whole Navy experience is featured in my first book, A Human Element with the Aliens. And um, it's a lot of it is set, parts of it are set in Hawaii and Honolulu. Um, and there's a there's a photographer in the Navy character that's in the book as well. And I tell kids this when I go and do school visits, because this is what I've done a lot in my book writing, is when they say, oh, I don't know what to write about. I don't have any ideas. Um, but I think we can take our real life material and fictionalize it into books. And that's how we can get ideas for that. That's what I've done with my settings. That's what I've done. You know, I have found that I have themes that run through my book because I'm an only child. I'm adopted. So that's something that really factor, factors into my books. A lot of seeking belonging because I didn't feel like I belonged growing up being adopted. Nobody else I knew was adopted. Nobody in my family was. So my feeling was that I didn't belong. And it took me a long time to get over that. So that really factors in my books, in my characters, that sense of not belonging, trying to find belonging. Where do you fit in? 
um, you know, all of that. So that it's all about identity, really. So that's kind of a theme that goes through my books. Didn't you have to be mysteriously handed off at the edge of a cornfield as a baby? How does that story go? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so my dad swears by this story. Um, and I'm going to have to get him to tell me it again. So when my parents adopted me, this was the 60s. And they were living in Columbus, Ohio at the time. And they were older. My mom was like 40, which was like really frowned upon back then. And it's um, not frowned upon now as an older parent. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, the 60s was a different world. So uh, they had to go to this real small town in Ohio called Washington Courthouse. That's the actual name of the town. And they went there to adopt a child because that was the quickest way they could do it in this small town. And my mom, who was like a real hoot, total character, um, she passed away a few years ago, but she was this big, colorful woman. So they went to go to this small town and the lady, the agency said, oh, we have two twin boys who are ready for adoption. So they came, they were going to go adopt these twin boys. And the dad who was in jail, I guess, canceled it the last minute, said, I'm not giving my children up, children up, Ugh, children up. So my mom said, all right, well, we came all this way. What else do you have? You know, so <laughs> literally, like I was like, a, you know, a second thought there, a side story. So she's like, well, I have this little girl. So they came to see me and they were like, she's fine. Let's take her. Um, but yes, she couldn't hand me over at that time. So they had to go outside the county line for some reason. I'm thinking, was I a black market baby? I don't know. Um, and they met her at this cornfield outside the county line. And that's where she handed me off to them. So my dad's the money in a duffel bag on the road, and then over here in the corn is that baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, but what's really neat is, actually, like a few years ago, I connected with my foster mother because I was in an orphanage first, and then I was in a foster home because I was like a year old when my parents adopted me. And my foster mother, very sweet, sent me pictures of myself in the home, sent me my little baby shoes. So that was a nice connection to have, yeah. Let's see, I'm looking uh, at our time, and as always, it's flying by, and I know I made a promise to esteemed audience that we talk about right and scary, and we will, uh, but I did want to ask, because you had said pretty definitively that Star Tours at Hollywood Studios is the best <laughs> ride ever, uh, and having not been on that ride, I'm just curious, that's a bold statement, best ride ever in a world where Jaws the ride existed. <laughs> what is it that makes uh, Star Tours the best? Well, I've heard that that's not there anymore, oh, which just crushes me. Um, or maybe they've redone it. I'm not sure. It's been eight I years since that. I was Yeah. <laughs> it's been eight years since I was there. But, oh, well, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Love Star Wars. Um, and this ride is so awesome. And when we went, it wasn't busy. We literally would just go and keep doing it again and again. What was amazing about this ride is that it's a 3D experience, but you're also, like, in a whole seat. Like, you're in the spaceship. And every time you go in, it's a different um, scenario. Like they have like, I don't know, 40 different scenarios. So when you go in, they put them all together in different ways. So you're having a new adventure every time you go. It was so awesome. You would be like go under the sea and up into the sky and it was all 3D. So it was coming at you. And they would take pictures of somebody inside the capsule and you would be like the villain, like show up on the screen. Um, but yeah, because they had all the different scenarios, you never knew how it was going to turn out. It was, it was awesome. It was very exciting. <laughs> I honestly, I just miss traveling, and I, I need you to tell me travel stories. To <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we've done a lot of traveling the past year. We, uh, my well, my fiftieth birthday was a couple years ago. Um, we went up to Quebec 
amazing city. It's like a medieval fairy tale. Totally have to go if you haven't gone to Quebec. Really amazing. Um, last year we went to, last August we went to Niagara Falls. We rented a cottage on Lake Ontario, went kayaking. So we tried to do all the like outdoor events. Like when the pandemic hit in March, I said every week, let's go find a wild place where there's no people and go hiking or kayaking. And so that was our goal. We did that for a few months. Well, let's see. One more, one more riderly question, and we'll we'll get to the the scary the scary <laughs> riding uh, for for kids. Uh, but I do always love a great how I met my agent story. So how do you go from seven months you're 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 getting that first draft of Joshua together? So where do you get to, you meet Lisa, is it, or Liza Fleisig? Liza, that's Liza. it, yep, Liza. How, how do you get hooked up with her? Well, funny enough, Liza's actually my second agent. So um, sometimes we need to break up with our agent, um, and that's what happened with me. It was very amicable, though. But my first agent, I'll just uh, share that real quick. So I actually got a two-book deal first with a publisher, and then I got my agent. So this is kind of a, a different way to get your agent. So I got this two book deal. And then I thought, well, I really want to get an agent. And doing that, sending emails out to agents with the headline, have two book deal, need representation, really gets their attention. <laughs> <laughs> so some people are writers. Was it did. true? Did you have a two book deal? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, wow. the, um, yeah, so I got my my first agent. I thought way. maybe it was just a really clever bluff. I'm like, oh, I'll make a note of that. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I don't recommend doing that bluff. No, no, no. Um, so, yes, I got my first agent that way, who's very nice. But over the years, we just didn't mesh well, and it just wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I felt advancing. So we parted ways very amicably. And Liza, I'd known for years. She's my critique partner's agent. Um, and Liza Fleisig, she's with the Liza Royce Agency. She is a... She's a powerhouse. She is like full steam ahead, talks like a, a speed train, um, just a real go-getter, a tiger lady. And I knew that I wanted her for my agent, but I wanted to have a book ready, right, before I pitched her. So that's what happened two years ago. I had a contemporary middle grade ready to go because I'm also moving into the world of contemporary middle grade. I have three books that I'm working on right now with that. And so that's that's how I got her. We already knew each other. So that relationship was already there. We already knew we wanted to work together. And so she just really needed the right project. Uh, we would meet up at writers conferences like SCBWI because I've taught at many of them. And she always shows up there, too, and meets with her clients. Um, and one of them is my my critique partner, Erica George. And so it was just a natural thing that that happened. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Yep. Nope, we're, we're at time. Uh, I have stalled long enough, but a promise is a promise. By God, let's uh, get to it. And I assume because the guest posts you wrote for MiddleGradeNinja.com have been the most influential bits of marketing you, you've ever done. You probably already have this guest post memorized off the top of your head. But just in case, I, I will remind you of some of these steps, and then I'm just going to set you up and, and, and hear your thoughts on these. So you're, this is your 10-step guide for writing scary fillers for kids. And step number one is put the kids in, in charge. How do you put the kids in charge? Well, you want to have them start their journey with whatever event is going to thrust them into that new world that they're heading on. And the adults need to be on the outside. So if the parents are in the picture or the aunt or the uncle, have them be on the outskirts, right? Because kids don't want to read stories about things that are happening as grown-ups. So... And my critique partners always reminded me of this. So when we're swapping our manuscripts, 
go off and say, oh, you've got too much grown up backstory here. We don't want to know about that. And so I, it's a reminder for me. Oh, you're right. Kids don't want to read about that. So make it short and sweet. Have the kids on the adventures, navigating through their journey on their own and making their own decisions on how to come up with solutions, right, to problems they have. How much is too much? When do you know it's time to cut back on the adults doing things? I think if they start to take over the scene, right? So even if you so if you have a book that's middle grade and you have your main character, say, who's 12 years old, um, we, we don't want a scene that's just about grownups talking, right, off to the side. So that, that child character has to be really the center of the focus unless they're overhearing a conversation. And then you don't want that to go on too long because you just don't want the focus to be on the grownups. You know, um, on the other hand, grownups in a child's life are very important, right? There's family, um, there's that that safety, that security, that comfort that comes with family. So that is a part of their world and who they are and the decisions they make. That's fine, right? But um, we don't want the grownups making decisions for them that are um, like changing their journey or we want to see them going through their transformation, right? And have their growth and make decisions, whether they're good or bad, and deal with those consequences. Makes 100% sense. Okay, so step number two is uh, kids are in charge, which leads into have the kids how to have, figure out how to take the bad guys down, not the grownups. Any exceptions to that? Well, uh, I think sometimes kids need advice. So, you know, maybe they might look to an older, an older person, an aunt, a sibling, a parent for advice, but then ultimately they have to take that advice and then make their own decision, right, with what they're going to do. Um, and especially if it's like with another friend who's a young child as well, they maybe can take that advice, but then decide how they're going to move forward on their own. So we got to, do we have to put in some kind of reason why, you know, they've, they've spotted our villain, they, the, the child can't just call the cops? <laughs> well, they can, but then the story might be over really quick, <laughs> right? You need to throw more obstacles in their way so they get through one obstacle and then get to another and then get to another so they can ultimately reach their end goal. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I guess with each scene, you kind of have to think, you know, what is it that this character wants and what is it that's standing in their way from getting this and how are they going to get it? Step number three is whatever scary situations they find themselves in. Do you know how to, no, I'm teasing. Uh, they must navigate their way out. Any exceptions to that rule? I don't really think so. I mean, we want to see the kids get themselves out of these situations, you know, and because the, here's the really key thing with writing for children, right? When we write for children, we, it's hard not to think about ourselves, but we really have to think about the reader and these kids really become these characters, right? They're going on these adventures. They're the ones who are making these choices and navigating through all these obstacles and ending on these cliffhangers and what's going to happen next. So they're putting themselves in these character shoes so much more, I think, than grownups do. That's why kids love series, because they fall in love with these characters. They become these characters. They, they are experiencing life through them, which maybe they haven't experienced so much of, right, so far in their life at 10 years old or 12. So, yeah. Always ask yourself that. I think use that as a guide. You know, is this is the character making a decision or is there some other grown up or adult in the way that's stopping them from moving on in the story? Makes sense. To me. Number four is don't dwell on the dark stuff. Uh, make it happen fast without gory detail. 
how dark is too dark? What 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 gory details are are off limits, or what's appropriate for for middle grade? Yeah, it's tough because I mean, middle grade horror is really popular, right? You know, now, right? Um, and Earl Stein has been, you know, with Goosebumps. I mean, that's basically middle grade horror too. So I think it really just depends. I mean, your readers for middle grade are going to be eight to twelve, okay? So you want to be mindful of the gore. Young adult, you can that that's a whole different realm, you know, as far as the boundaries that you you can break. But yeah, don't dwell on the dark stuff too much. Move on from that. Adding a dash of humor always helps as well with kids and and having their friends along the way. Um, so that's just my rule of thumb. Don't dwell on the dark stuff too much with middle grade because here's the thing you remember with middle graders. They live their life in the moment, right? With young adult and with teenagers, they become more reflective. They internalize more. It's really about them, you know, their world. They're very self-absorbed. But middle graders are in the moment where teenagers are thinking maybe ahead of the future or long-term or coming down the road. So the middle grade, when it's right in the moment, Right. You're in that moment. You have that horrible situation and then boom, you get out of it and you're on to the next moment. You know. What about uh, delicious, gross details? Like I know I, as a middle grade child, if I saw a dead animal in the park, it was getting poked with a stick. That was definitely going to be part of the day. Is there is there any stick poking that, that you're allowed to incorporate or no? That oh. save that for real life. No, that's totally the fun stuff. Oh, hey, you know what? I'll, I can quickly give you an example here of something gross. Um, <laughs> because I actually use this in my school visit. So this is from Joshua and the Lightning Road. Because, like, I totally should have been a 10-year-old boy in another life. Because I, I love toilet humor and boy humor. You know, one of my favorite series that I used to read with my son was Captain Underpants. That was hilarious. Um, so anyway, so this is this little scene. It's just like a paragraph that I read to kids when I'm trying to teach them about show versus tell, like instead of telling, so I say, instead of telling that, oh, a guy picked his nose and, and you know, threw a booger on the floor, don't just tell us that, show us, right? Like this, okay? Um, here we go, let's see. He scratched his bumpy half nose, snaking his eyebrow in concentration. Then he stuck a sausage finger up the good side of it and rooted around to pull out a green glob and flick it at me. It landed at my feet with a wet slap. Ew, right? <laughs> that, was so, that was so fun to write. So yes, poke that dead animal. You know, but we don't need to get, you know, two paragraphs of disgusting gory detail on it. So just give us the fun part of it. You know, is it squishy? Is it mushy? Does it smell? You know. Uh, tip number five is give them friends in their travels. Life is hard without friends, and a kid needs friends to help them along a scary adventure. What type of character makes a good friend character? Well, I think sidekicks, as I like to call them, um, definitely not the same kind of character as your main character, right? You want a character that's going to balance them out. So otherwise, you don't really need that sidekick if they're basically the same kind of character as your main character. So, like, for instance, in Unicorn Island, I have Sam, who's adventurous, who is risky and rebellious, oftentimes doesn't think before she does something. Her friend Tuck is more scientific. He's cautious. He's got all these facts and figures in his head. They each balance each other out and bring their own strengths to their journey and adventure that they have. So something writers can do is to research sidekick characters. You know, there's all kinds of blog posts and books on these Um to kind of see the formula of different characters, whether they're uh, a mentor or like a best buddy or a hero 
or um, a watcher, maybe somebody who just observes. So there's all different kinds of sidekick characters that you can use to balance out your main character. Uh, number six, true story events have the kids discover their own strength and courage to overcome bad things uh, happening to them. Uh, pretty self-explanatory. Any any tips on that, on discovering their own, showing kids discovering their own strength? Well, I think when you're writing your scenes, um, so like for each chapter, you know, you want to have that guide of how, you know, what is happening to this character in the chapter? How is it affecting them internally uh, as well as externally? So basically, my little guide is what is in the, happening in the scene that everybody can see? Like, oh, the top of the volcano blew off. We all need to run, right? But what's going on internally in your main character? Like, oh, the top blew off, but my best friend is at the top and nobody knows that I have to go get them, you know? Or my mother died in a volcano and I can't have this happen to my best friend. So um, show what's going on inside, in, internally in that character as well as externally um, so that we can see them move along in the story. And they have to have their own self-aware transformation on their own, right? So we don't want like an adult to give them an idea of like, oh, you know, how they're changing, maybe with their grief or their friendship. We need to see that happen inside, in, inside that young character on their own, through their own choices. I love this backstory for this, this Batman type character you created, but for volcanoes. Ever since a <laughs> volcano killed my mother, I've, I've sworn revenge. I, I'll never let a volcano hurt another person. <laughs> well, it's funny because I actually, speaking of volcanoes as a side story here, I used to have serial nightmares as a kid. I had very vivid nightmares and I have my, still have my journals of them all, but one serial nightmare I had was of lava. Lava chasing me down hills, down mountains. It was under the snow. I would fall through into the lava. I was constantly running away from lava. I don't know why. <laughs> well, if you get some time, uh, there's a, I believe there's a game show on Netflix that I've, uh, the, the fam and I watched a couple episodes of the floor is lava. Where it's, you know, just like kids jumping on couches and, and, and different things trying to stay above. It's, it's uh -huh. not actual lava, but right. that's, that's the whole game show. So you watch that, you get some tips. You don't have to worry anymore. You're, you're going to know what to do. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. My other nightmare was the machete man. He would chase me with his, his machete to try and cut off my head. That was not fun. Mm. Well, what if the machete was made of lava? Then you'd really be in trouble. Oh, my Yes. <laughs> however, however, after many years, the machete man was put to peace. I all of a sudden had people come in my dream. They, they whipped him with garden hoses and he disappeared and never came back. Huh. So they took the machete man down. <laughs> <laughs> That's very curious. <laughs> Crazy writer imagination, right? <laughs> Has the machete man been replaced by a new boogeyman? Or nope, that was it. No, no. I, I stopped having nightmares a long time ago. Thank goodness. Uh, let's see. Where did we leave off? Uh, we were talking about number seven. Make all seem lost. In the chapters on cliffhangers to encourage kids to want to keep turning the pages and find out what happens next. How do we make all seem lost and what's a good cliffhanger to end on? Well, all seems lost means, oh my gosh, so they want to have, they're trying to get this one goal, but then boom, you throw this obstacle in their way and it's like, how, my gosh, they're never going to get over there. How are they going to do that now, right? This is broken or that's broken or the path is, is washed away. Um, you know, or the tire is flat on the vehicle that they're hiding out in in the back. Um, so, yeah, so those are fun things. Throw obstacles in your character's way, and that will make things seem all lost along the way. Um, 
ending on cliffhangers, that's a super fun way to kind of lead into the next chapter. And how I look at each chapter, writing for kids, I look at each chapter as its own short story. So I kind of look at it as a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then opening the door for the next part, the next story to come, right? So that's how I kind of look at my chapters. Uh, tip number eight is have it work out in the end. Why? <laughs> because ultimately kids want their characters to succeed. They want to know, you know, when we when we first start writing a story, and I've always kept this in my head, in that first page, whether you're writing for adults or for, for kids, you're pointing that arrow to the end of that story. So from that first page, we as the reader know, oh, this is where it's going, okay? You know, we have that general kind of idea. And so kids want that. They want their characters to be all right, to succeed, and leave the door open, right? Possibly to another story. Maybe not everything works out in the end. That's true. You can't have everything perfect and wonderful in the end, you know, utopia. But some things might not work out. But maybe they work out in a different way that's just as satisfactory. What kind of things are acceptable to have not work out? I think characters, maybe they start, they have their misbelief. Like, uh, for instance, maybe a young character thinks I was responsible for my mom's death and that's why my dad doesn't like me, right? Um, and so maybe at the end, she realizes, wow, I wasn't responsible for my mom's death and my dad, my dad still doesn't like me, but it's for a different reason, you know? Um, I mean, that's probably not a really good example, but um, yeah, it, it's almost like if they start out with their own misbelief and then that's, that changes and transforms throughout the book, maybe they come to a conclusion at the end that the thing that they always wanted really isn't the best thing for them and it really was something else. So like, for example, in the one book that I'm writing right now, I'm actually revising it to get to my agent hopefully in another month. It's a contemporary middle grade and the, the young girl, the character, um, again, uh, thinks her dad doesn't want to be with her because her mom is dead and, and she's not enough for him. And she doesn't see that he's trying to connect to her. And she thinks he's dating this other woman, but he's really not. He's trying to connect to his daughter through this other woman. And so at the end, you know, she kind of sees um, maybe it's not so bad. Dad needs a friend, too. Right. We can both be friends with her. So which is something she never thought she would ever think. So. It turns out different, but it's satisfactory for her. Uh, let's see, number nine, add humor. Uh, interjecting a dollop of funny can alleviate the tension in the scariest of scenes and lighten the moment. So when is that not a good idea? Are there any scenes where we want to keep that suspense, ratchet it up and not, and not relieve it? Or because it's middle grade, do we want to keep it fun and it's been Nicola. It's not a real vampire. You're going to be okay. <laughs> well, I think you can leave it tense, especially if it's the end of a, of a chapter and you want that cliffhanger to go into the next chapter. But it always helps to have it's like a sidekick character who maybe has that witty sense of humor and always says the wrong, you know, the wrong thing at the wrong time um, to make everybody see things in a different light that can really break it up. Because if it's too heavy for too long, um, again, you know, this isn't going to be an adult thriller right? Um, you don't want to weigh down on the dark and the gray so much with, with the middle grade. It, it's too heavy. And I'll, I'll give you a, kind of an example of this. My, my one book that was on submission a couple years ago, um, it had grief in it. And I was told it was just, it was too sad, right? So I needed to, uh, and this is a middle grade, so I needed to, to lighten it up and to add other elements into the story with the character 
that weren't so sad, give her more of a purpose in another area so we weren't focusing so much on her grief, you know? Uh, tip number 10 is make it a series, Is it, which I think is always a good idea. Who doesn't want to get paid more? Um, but <laughs> when is that not appropriate? When uh, I'm assuming it's happened to you that you've had a story that, no, this is self-contained. Let's let's leave it be. And how do you know when that's the case versus, yeah, we, we, we can milk this thing a little more? Well, I always look at every story as being self-contained because we we want it to have that complete beginning, middle, and end, that satisfying, you know, conclusion. Um, and there's always a door that can be opened, I think, for a series. Now, I like to tell writers, you know, if you're pitching to get an agent and, you know, cause, because I hear this a lot, oh, I've written a three-book, you know, I've written a trilogy or I've, I've written a two-book series. Um, I always recommend pitching with your one book. It needs to be a standalone, right? Even though it's going to be a series and just pitch it with series potential. I wrote this book, XYZ, for middle grade, you know, 50,000 words, and it has series potential. You know, that's all you need to say um, because really you don't want to go write that second or third book until you sell it, if that's the route that you're going, right? With trying to get an agent and go traditional. Otherwise, it's fine if you're, if you're going to self-publish. Um, but yeah, so for example, like I didn't know if Unicorn Island was going to have a second book, but I, we, you know, they wanted to leave a little thing at the end just in case. So I did, and I, I moved on into that. Um, my Joshua books, the same thing. I, I, you know, satisfying conclusion, but left the door open as well for a series. So I think any standalone book can be a series if you want it to be. I never thought my first book, A Human Element, was going to be a series. Until so all of a sudden, boom, this idea came for the second book, and boom, the idea came with the third book, and then it became a trilogy. So, yeah, sometimes you just can't let those characters go, you know? And so if you're going to be traditionally published, it's sometimes you have to wait for that editor or that publisher to give you the go-ahead for book two. You know, you may get a two-book deal right off the bat, or a three-book deal, or just one book deal. So focus on that one book, make it a standalone, but leave it open, you know, a little bit for there to be other stories. And that is writing scary stories for children. <laughs> uh, so there we are. I, I, I convinced you to give a free course, I think, for esteemed audience. <laughs> I hope they, they are appreciative. Uh, do you, I know you've got another book in, in the uh, Element series. Uh, do you foresee yourself writing more thrillers for adults? Or are you pretty firmly ensconced in middle grade land for now? Yeah, I am in middle grade land big time. So I'll probably get the third book done in my Element trilogy. But in a way, writing that series was very cathartic for me. There's a lot of my personal life in it. I was writing my demons out. It's, it's the first book is dark. The second book is very dark. And by the third book, I was done. My therapy was over and it's very light, you know, it's <laughs> much lighter. So, and then I fell in love with writing for kids and reading kids books again. Um, and I love that sweet spot because that age, that like 10 to 12 age, you know, the kids are, they have one foot in childhood still where everything's magical and there's all these possibilities and they have one foot heading into adulthood. And it's just wonderful spot to be in that I'm so lucky to be in as a writer and a reader because being a writer, we have to read, especially in our, our age range and our genre. So we know what's, you know, just keeping up with story structure and trends and all that. Um, so yeah, I'm really lucky that I get to do that. I think it's a very sweet spot to be in with middle grade. Uh, it's a special time in a kid's life that you're never going to get back, but you're always going to hopefully look back on fondly. So, and um, actually that's one of my courses that I'm creating on Udemy. 
I did a workshop called How to Harness Your Inner Child to Write for Children's Books. And it was super fun to put that together, all kinds of tips on how to how to harness your inner child to write for kids, right? Whether it's going back and reading your diaries from when you were a child, which I have, which can be painful, but really put you right into that middle grade voice. Um, you know, recreating a map of your neighborhood from where you lived and revisiting stories and memories there. Um, you know, all kinds of tips and tricks to really get into that middle grade voice and mindset as well. So. So that's another course that I have to put up among the five that are out there, mostly marketing. But I just put one up there this year, too, on um, how to get your manuscript past the gatekeeper with revision techniques. That's a real popular one that I would teach in person as well. And then I have the foundations of world building that I want to get up as well. Well, excellent. Well, I think a esteemed audience just heard you teach an amazing course. They're chomping at the bit for more. <laughs> so you got to get those things up on Udemy. They're ready to go. I know, right? Like I said, I need more hours in the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, Donna, you have been an absolutely fantastic guest. I so appreciate you making the time to, to be here. And I hope that uh, you'll come back um, when you write your, your next scary story. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll squeeze another free course out of you. My uh, last uh, question is always some variation. Uh, if you could go back to, I don't know, the start of your career, the when you were a child, wherever you'd like to along the way, and give yourself some writing advice that would have made your path easier, and that hopefully will make easier the paths of anybody listening or watching right now, what would you go back and tell yourself? Well, that's something to think about, but I first want to preface that with, I, I've had a hard journey along the author path, right? I had a lot of disappointments, a lot of things that didn't work out, but I truly believe I wouldn't have gotten to where I am without that happening. You know, and I won't go into instances, but um, everything that's happened along the path has led me to where I am now. So I wouldn't have given any of that up. But as far as advice, I think I would tell myself to trust, trust myself more, right? To be kinder to myself, to say, hey, you know, I've always felt I'm a natural storyteller and have the confidence to just sit down and write the story and don't listen to those other voices that say you're not good enough nobody's going to read what you wrote you know all of that just write that story just get it down if you're compelled to do that and secondly i would have told myself spend more time writing and learning your craft and not quite so much time trying to figure out social media and marketing and my platform right away right do that a little more slowly on the side, but really focus more on the writing. And maybe I would have gotten to where I am a little bit sooner. So who knows? I think that's the perfect note to end on. Donna, where uh, can folks find you online again on social media and all those good spots? Yeah, I'm everywhere under my name. So DonnaGalanti.com, at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Donna Galanti author, uh, Udemy, just look me up by my name for my courses. I have a little free course there too you can try out. Um, yeah, YouTube again, Donna Galanti. So yeah, this has been super fun, Rob. I'm so glad you invited me on and we got to chit chat face to face. It's uh, just the beginning, my friend. <laughs> we'll have to, well, I'm going to figure out what, what courses you're teaching next. Time. I'm going to figure out a way to scam more free information out of you. You'll come back. We'll, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we'll no problem. Love to do it. <laughs> 
Uh, Steve audience, as always, head to littlegradeninja.com to read two, two guest posts by Donna, to read hundreds, uh, no thousands of interviews with authors, literary agents, editors, folks you'd find interesting. I wouldn't let you down. Uh, download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, and God willing that I'm alive, I'll see you next week. Thank you.